Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. Let's go to Revelation. I don't know why I got to say it like that, but I just feel like I got to say it like that. Um, Because, you know, folks, they would be looking a little bit too much into it, all right? So we've been talking about doctrine. This is our roots that we have, is our doctrine. And uh, and this isn't anything new that we have presented to you. This has been the orthodox of the church for um, a couple of millennia. And uh, and we're just reinforcing it as we... uh, as we, we have been as a church. Today I want to talk about the doctrine of eschatology. That is a very fancy word that it doesn't mean you're saved if you know that word. just means last things. Um, and that's an important topic. And I want to just kind of briefly cover it. But what I want to do, what I think is a little uh, as equal as important, is also talk about uh, the implications of the last things. Because if you're talking about a doctrine of uh, whatever you want to call it, last thing, second coming, second resurrection. Uh, some of you may have heard uh, it called the rapture or uh, the final judgment. However uh, you want to talk about it, uh, it's as equally as important that we talk about how we are responding in light of what Christ is presenting to us, especially and particularly in this text, how we respond to it, it, it has a, an incredible weight for the church as it has for centuries uh, in the past. Now, I understand, and I want to just, I want to give you just a little side note, that when we start talking about end times, last things, this eschatology, um, I, I, do, I do understand that things have gotten a little uh, funny over the years, and some of you probably have given into uh, your last things or your doctrine of the end times to perhaps um, a weird book that was written a couple of decades ago. And I keep forgetting the names of these books. What is the name of it? Left Behind. Left Behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that's where your doctrine is coming from, then we got some issues, all right? I'd encourage you to read the Bible, actually. That's what I'd encourage you to do. That's what I want to do. Now, I don't understand a lot of it, and that's okay. Uh, I understand I'm, I'm the pastor, and, and I'm going to lay out my cards to you and tell you I don't, I don't get it all. all right? Sometimes I think I get it, and sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, I totally missed that one. Uh, because it gets weird. Let's be straight. Beasts, lakes, where the beasts, heads, beasts. I don't know why I say it like that, just for the dramatic effect. Um, the trumpets and the lamps and the 666 and all of these weird things that people want to scare you into. I think there's a, a better point being made than those points that people like to spend a little bit too much time on debating. In fact, I would even press this and say that God never called you to debate eschatology. He called you to go and be a witness. Right. And if you're living your life wondering and debating about these things, then, my friend, you're probably living a purposeless life. God doesn't want you to do that, just straight up. Yes, God wants you to understand. I didn't, please don't hear me, I didn't say that. But if all you're trying to do is decode, (laughs) 
I mean, that's just weird, all right? All right, we'll, we'll get you set up with our counselor, okay? But um, anyway, I'm probably digressing way too much as I should. How about we just read the Bible? All right, great. That's a great idea, Matthew. It's a big picture right here. And um, this is where we're going to end up. And I want to talk about where we end up and where we're going to, what we do about it in the here and now. All right, let's read Revelation 21, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bridegroom, bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning. And I'm the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, I don't know if you've ever smelled sulfur in your life. It don't smell good. Um, yesterday, <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. My my kids, they're bright. All right, I think my kids are smart, and uh, you know, smarter than yours. You know, what I'm saying they're, just, they're great kids. No, they're not. Um, I mean, you are smart, um, and and I I try to teach my kids how to do stuff. Because I ain't the slave, you know, so now I'm, like, making them my slaves. So they're like, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, go make some mac and cheese. Amen. All right, so instructions to make mac and cheese. Y'all ready? Put the water in it. First, you got to open it up, take the, the cheese out. You put the water, put it in the microwave, put it on four minutes. Pop, you got instant mac and cheese. I mean, meal of champions. However, someone in my household, I'm not going to mention any names, but Jude took his mac and cheese, and he didn't put water in it. Now, if you put mac and cheese in the microwave without putting water in it, it could, it could blow up your microwave or catch it on fire. And right now, if you entered in my house, you would get the stench of hell. And it is yet one of the many reasons why I ain't going to hell. And so congratulations, son. You gave us an incredible analogy on why we shouldn't go to hell because it stinks. Amen? Y'all shouldn't be clapping for him because it stinks in my house right now. And I probably smell like it right now. You'd be like, Matthew, you pick up smoking? Okay, maybe so, all right? It's just easier to say yes and to explain that my child almost blew up my house yesterday. Anyway, uh, there's a couple of things that... I just wanted to share that with y'all because we have an interesting house. 
uh, family dynamic. Um, there's a few things I want to point out in this text, but before I do that, there's an obvious point being made. John the Revelator is writing to a church who's experienced a lot of suffering and is in an experience at this moment when he's writing this, great suffering, great persecution. So these people are living in a hopeless situation. So the purpose of Revelation is not to confuse anybody. The purpose of him writing this letter to the church wasn't so that they can start a debate team on whether or not we're post-mid, pre-trib, all these mark of this beast, what is this decoding right here looks like? What is the beast? Is the Antichrist really going to rise up from Russia? Is his name Putin? Like, that was not the purpose and the intention. (laughs) Y'all laughing, but this is stuff I hear from believers, and I'm just scratching my head. I'm like... God, can you get a job or something? That's not the intention. And the intention of Revelation was for a man to talk to a church who was under great oppression and to give them an ultimate hope. And the ultimate hope wasn't about how to have a better life, how to have a better marriage. It wasn't about how you can make more money and get out of this persecution. The ultimate hope was something that they could look forward to that had not happened yet. When Jesus appears, y'all better get that. When Jesus appears, he's given them a glimpse of this newness that he has for them. Now, Now, hope is an interesting thing. We have general hopes and we have ultimate hopes. And I don't want you to be confused by the two. A general hope is you saying, I, I hope I score uh, on this test really well. A general hope is you saying, um, I hope, if you're single, I hope you ain't saying this if you're married, I hope I find a spouse. I hope I, hope I can go on this date. I hope this little girl uh, will like me. I hope this little boy will like me. I, I hope that I can get a good job. I, I hope that I, can, that I can pay my bills. That's a general hope. Now, those hopes aren't bad things to have. If you're single, you want a girlfriend, you want a boyfriend, then praise God. You want a job, praise the Lord. Nobody don't want a lazy person. I ain't paying your bills. You pay them yourself by getting a job, right? Right? And, and, you know, I ain't paying you. And you ain't going to win the lottery. You know what I'm saying? And if you did, or if you do, right, future tense, this is up to like $1.6 billion. Y'all better play because y'all need to tie that money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got you. Your money can't buy a lot of happiness, but it can change some stuff. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> if you're new here, sorry. <laughs> now, the problem is, is that a lot of us have made the general hope the ultimate hope. And here's what happens. You have invited fear and anxiety to reign in your life. Because what happens? Your job goes bad. You don't make enough. The spouse that you thought that you just had to have turned out to be Medusa or something. My spouse ain't Medusa, by the way. You know, you failed the test. 
You didn't do so well in college. You know, you didn't get the job you wanted. You see what happens when we make, now these are, these are good hopes. You, you should have these hopes in your life. I, I hope that you have hopes. But the problem is that a lot of us have made these our ultimate hope. But Jesus is painting a clearer picture and given us a better hope to look forward to because this is the kind of hope that we have as believers that does not fail. This is the kind of hope that the church for thousands of years we've had and what keeps us going. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the trauma of life, the one thing that I've got that the world doesn't have is an ultimate hope that one day Christ makes all things new. Now, this is interesting because the things that he's making new uh, isn't just this new heaven, this new earth, because he's saying, behold, I make all things new. So what is he making new here? There's a, a few things I just want to point out really quickly. The things that he's, he's making new, he's making us spiritually new. Now, this is really good news if you're like me and, and you still got a little bit of that sin nature and that flesh inside of you. Because there's going to be a day where when somebody pulls out in front of me, I don't feel the need to cuss them out anymore. Can I get an amen from the church in here? <laughs> There's going to be a day when I'm not struggling anymore in my faith. There's, no, there's going to be a day where my mind does not get clouded with doubt. There's going to be a day when I don't have to walk alongside of you in your issue and in your addiction. I don't have to look forward to that because in the new day, we will be made spiritually new. There will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering in our addiction, suffering in our pain. There will be no more war that we have with our flesh. Why? Because behold, Christ is making all things new. And if he's making all things new, then he's making all things new, including our spirituality. Yeah. He's also making our, us physically new. And that's, that's incredible news. Now, for some of us, um, we may take that and we're like, yes, I finally get that six-pack, you know. <laughs> you, know and, you know, and by the way, if that's your hope, you know, hope it in the plan. It ain't a strategy either. So you can hope you get a good body, but if you keep on eating McDonald's, you're going to look like Mr. Burglar from the, the, the y'all remember that character? Big old round cheeseburger oozing. I mean, that's nasty. Shouldn't be eating that garbage. So hope is not a strategy, right? And so some of you like, okay, back to my point. <laughs> So we want, we want this, we, we, get, we get this physical newness. Paul even talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we get this new body. And, and, and for, for, for some of us, that's incredible news because a lot of you suffer with a lot of physical ailments. We have, we have blind, we have some of you uh, who, who are double amputees. We have, we have some people who are dealing with depression in some of you who are dealing with with agonizing pains in your body listen to me very carefully 
the ultimate hope that I can give you this morning is that one day you'll be physically made new. And all the suffering that you endured with your body will be a distant memory. Because in that day, the blind will see. That's a hope that I have. Because we have a lot of them in our church. Now, if you're young in here, you're like, bro, I'm going to sprint a hundred meters in like a minute. Okay, homie. I don't know. Is that slow? I don't know. I'm going to tell you what, the only kind of running I'm doing is running away from the police or like somebody chasing me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you young, you're like, I run real fast. I right, wait till you hit 30, homie. You'll be reaching in the shower and you pull a muscle. How is that possible? Like, I literally jumped off a lift. It was just two feet off the ground. I shredded my knee. I had to have knee surgery. I'm like, I'm dying right now. So, so a hope is that for those of us who are over 30, praise God. I ain't got to jump the wrong way or look the wrong way and pull a muscle. <laughs> you may think that's, pull, that's taking light, but, man, please, I'm looking forward to that. He will make you physically new. The other thing that he'll do is he'll, he, our relationship with Christ will be new. This is why this is important, because right now, a lot of us, we're, we're living out our faith. We're walking by faith. That, that's, the, that's the tension that we have as believers, that we're walking by faith. But one day, my friends, I won't have to walk by faith. I'll walk by sight. Because one day I will behold him in all of his beauty. That which Moses wanted to see so bad and could never get the face of God. We will stand before him and see him in all of his beauty for who he really is. That's an ultimate hope that I have. That's the ultimate hope that we have. And I, and I don't want to begin to paint these weird pictures that some of us have probably been had in our life painted about in times that that's a main thing for us right there this is what we have to long for this is what we have to hope for that Christ one day reconciles all things when he returns and gathers his bride for himself and he makes all things new that's our eternal hope so what do we do about that I think that holds just amount of weight as the question of what does it look like? Because if you have an incredible doctrine of end times and you're not doing anything about it, then I would press on you and say you fooled yourself into thinking you have a good view of end times. Because if all you long to do is sit around and debate and try to decode. You've missed the reality and the point of it. Paul, in in those passages I I briefly mentioned just a second ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he he would talk about that in the twinkling of an eye that we'll meet Christ in the air. And then he says, but therefore, stay steadfast and stay grounded in Christ. 
So he gives us this impl implication here that, that, yes, look forward to this ultimate hope that we have. But while you're looking for this ultimate hope, you got some work to do. Stay grounded and rooted in him. And, and in 1 and Corinthians or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would talk about this new body. And then later in that same chapter, he says, so therefore your job is to be ministers of reconciliation. So your job is not to sit around, debate, decode some weird theology about all of this. Your job is to get to work. Jesus even said this when Jesus gives his interesting um, Olivet Discourse, when he's talking about, in Matthew chapter 24, about the end times, wars, rumors of wars, quakes, and, and all this random stuff. He says that this is kind of the season that you'll be in. And I love how he ends it towards the end of the chapter. He says, but to my church, to my people, stay alert. Wake up. Don't just get so wrapped around this idea because you have work to do is what he's telling us. Stay alert. Get to work. There are people around us that need to hear the gospel of Christ. How will they hear the message of the saving work of Jesus if all we're doing is debating how things are going to end? You want to know how they end? They end. I mean, it's just going to end, all right? Here's some deep revelation for you. The early church didn't read through Revelation, and they weren't going like, ooh, I wonder if this means this. I wonder if the mark of the beast is 666 is going to be like this little chip that we have to insert into our veins so that the government can keep track of us. I wonder if this means this. I wonder if like, the early church wasn't doing that. In fact, he's writing to a lot of poor, uneducated people, and when they would read this very letter, they would understand exactly what he's talking about. So why have we overcomplicated this thing here. So here's what this means for us. In the book of James, James gives us a pretty Debbie Downer kind of verse. He tells us, he, tells us, he says, what is your life? <laughs> Have you ever heard a more encouraging verse than that? <laughs> You're like, bro, I've been, I thought I've been bad in a thousand. And James is like, no, homie, what's your life really? You're here one moment you're gone the next. Y'all know when I woke up this morning, like I stepped outside, and God has pushed out hell. Yes. <laughs> That'll make a Baptist charismatic right there, y'all. I ain't got to endure the oppressive, at least for today. Y'all know how it is down here tomorrow, probably like 2,000 degrees with 100% humidity. But when I stepped outside, I went out there, I was like, and I saw my breath. Praise be. Y'all shouldn't be watching that show. I know what y'all talking about. And James reminds you, that's your life. I mean, talk about encouragement, really? So my life is just a, a puff of air? My life is just here a second, gone the next. Now think about this in terms of a doctrine of last things. That if I understood my life is just here one second, gone the next, that means I'm going to get to work. 
That means that the job I'm after, the job that you're after, I'm not after a job, I'm, I'm pretty good with mine right now. The job you're after, like think about, in the scope and the realm of eternity, how important is it? Is it so important to get that business deal done that you've got to step on the heads of others just to get it? Is it so important to you that you've got to trample on others just to get the position that you want? Is it so important to you that you have to cheat your way through school? Because in the realm of eternity, it doesn't really matter when you look at it like that. So we're stuck in this cycle. Well, now if you're in, you're in school, uh, I would hope for the most of you, you're like, well, my, my, my job now is to um, make good grades and get out of high school. Now, the hell with me, I didn't care about high school. Um, and, then, and then, like, you get out of high school, you got to go to college. Now, I'm in college. Like, who's going to be my, my boo? You know, so you got to find a spouse. Because apparently, I think that's what you got to do in college. Um, you find a spouse, you get out of college, then you go set up a GoFundMe page. And you're like, hey, fund me in my ministry. Um, that was a joke. And <laughs> a bad one at that. I'm just kidding. I love y'all millennials. Y'all so sweet. Uh, and then you get a real job, okay? A uh, real job is not setting up a GoFundMe account. Um, and then so, like, you, you get to work. You're like, yes, I got a job. So you, you climb the ladder, and then you're like, then before you know it, you're like in your 60s, and you're looking towards retirement so that you can go buy an RV and uh, go across the country. Now, that's what we do in Boo. And um, now, I mean, when I'm 65, I'm going, y'all. I ain't sticking around here. I'm in my RV, and I'm headed out. All right? Anyway, that was, had nothing to do with anything. But we were in this cycle, and my question and my fear is that a lot of the choices that we're making now, they hold no eternal weight to them. Listen to the writer here when James is saying, you're here for a second, and you're gone the next. Like, that should, inside of us, not make us scoff at James, scoff at this word, be discouraged by it, but this should kind of help us and, and hear Jesus' words and the weight of them to stay alert because you ain't got that much time here to do what God has called you to do. And that is not to debate. That is not to try to force people into some weird doctrinal belief. Your job as a follower of Christ is to make disciples and be a witness. So the job that you are in, the job that you are in right now or trying to get into isn't so that you can climb the ladder, and please do that. That's great. But that's not the purpose of why God has you there. Your purpose there is to make disciples. Your purpose is to be a witness that this neighborhood that you've been longing to get into because it got this really nice house, it's not there just so that um, you would say, oh, look at me. God placed you in that house to fulfill a greater purpose. James says you're just here for a second, and then you're gone the next. Another thing to take into consideration um, is how we live is that we focus on what Christ told us to focus on. This Matthew 24, the stay alert to go make disciples. 
we have a future hope, an ultimate hope, one where we will be made new, one where we will dwell with God, and that's incredible, one where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, death is no more. And for me, I rejoice in that. For me, I rejoice in that because as a pastor, like last year, just in the, like the first six months of last year, I was a part of like seven funerals. Some of the funerals I was given, they were at least all under 40. Now, let me tell you something in those moments. As I'm sitting there, or I'm about to talk about a mom that's left behind her kindergartner and her husband. You're part of the funeral of a child. This provides for me at least. It may not provide it for you, but it does for me. That one day I'll never have to do another funeral again. And I just wonder, like, you know, and I'm always in that, for us as a church, like, I don't get, and I'm not saying that there's a pleasure in this, but there's a little bit more satisfaction when I do a funeral for someone who has lived an incredibly long life for the Lord. I mean, hey, I hope I, hope I, I do that. I hope that's my story. But there's a future reality that's for us as believers where we don't have to say, I've got to go do that funeral. There's a future reality for us where there is no more pain, that the anxiety, the depression, whatever that you're facing that you can't get out of, it's a distant thing. For me as a pastor, like this is really exciting because I'll never get another phone call where I have to talk someone and convince them to put a gun down, put a bottle down. I, can, I don't have to convince them anymore to, to talk them off the edge of a cliff. And I've experienced these things as a pastor, and it's devastating. But I have a future reality for me. One day I'll never get another phone call again. I'll never have to walk side by side with some of you who are in your addiction or in your struggles. Those things will be a distant memory. I have ridden behind ambulances, and I've sat in ERs, and I've sat in ICUs, and I've watched the, the oxygen being taken off of people, and I've watched them give their last breath. There's a reality coming from me where I'll never have to experience that anymore. Like, if we were all honest, if, if that's our reality and our ultimate hope, what are we doing with that? Has it become just some kind of nominal news to us? Has it become just something that... Uh, well, there goes the kooky Christians talking about Jesus returning. There goes the weird guy with the sign, Jesus is coming. Like, has it really gotten to that? Oh, we got a future hope, y'all. There's no more pain and there's no more suffering. Death will be a distant memory for us. All of the suffering, all of the suffering, all of the suffering, God will reverse it. And it just becomes some kind of distant memory to you. In light of the future ultimate hope, 
And I can't speak for all of us, but the ultimate hope that I have. What do we do with that? Christ says to stay alert. In other words, be watchful. There are people right now around you. They're not around you just to be around you. They're around you because God in his sovereignty has placed them around you for a purpose. I love this verse in Revelation 21. Jesus says that for all who thirst, they come to me. And I just want to just ask a posing question that I'm just bothered by. Are you thirsty? Is your ultimate hope Christ? That's a, that's a doctrine of last things for you. Not some weird mumbo-jumbo that we've made it. The doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of this last things, should stir in us and ask us the questions, are we thirsty for him? And is our hope in him and him alone? That's, that's what we have to wrestle with this morning. Don't want you to be confused by anything. I just want you to ask yourself, is Christ my hope? Is he my resource? Is he that living water that never runs dry? Let me pray for his father. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.